off this morning uh, with prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to gather together on this, uh, this Lord's Day. We thank you for the gift of your word in which you uh, reveal to us who you are and, and what you've done. That you reveal to us our great need for a Savior and you reveal to us the glory of the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us. Help us to understand more and more of who you are and, and who we are in such a way that it would uh, lead us to worship and praise and enjoyment of you, Lord. We confess that we are dependent on you for this, that we need your help to, to listen and, and to think and to consider and to even love the truths that you reveal to us. We confess our great need for your spirit to work in our hearts and minds in such a way that we would be greater conformed into the image of your Son. And we pray that you would do that, trusting uh, that you will give us good things when we ask for them. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been uh, working through the uh, 1689, the, the sex, uh, second London Baptist Confession of Faith. We already went through the first chapter, um, and we saw the uh, necessity of Scripture, that, that it's a one-of-a-kind sort of thing, that special revelation does not continue today, that Scripture alone is where we find the truth of, of Christ and, and of the Savior. We looked at the canon of Scripture, that it is the 66 books that we have in uh, the Bibles, uh, I'm assuming, that you have in, in your hand. We also looked at um, the authority of Scripture. We looked at the inspiration of Scripture. And we looked at uh, how we are to interpret Scripture. Among other things, the, the infallibility of Scripture um, and other things like that. Last week we uh, looked at, uh, transitioned into chapter 2, and we looked at the first paragraph of chapter 2 where we saw the attributes of God. We saw that there are communicable attributes, attributes that God can communicate to us, as it were, that He can pass down to us, though uh, they are never in the same sense that God has them. For instance, man uh, can grow in goodness, man can be good, uh, be a communicable at, uh, attribute, goodness, but at the same sense, uh, man will never be the source of all goodness like God. And so there are certain attributes that God communicates to us, and there are those attributes that are incommunicable, those that man, that creation can never have. Man can never be infinite. Man can never be eternal in the way that God is. Uh, going, going both directions outside of time. And so we looked at those things last week. And before uh, we move on to paragraph two this morning, I just want to um, quickly ask the question, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we going uh, through this doctrine? On a, on a practical sense, we've, we've already discussed that we're uh, going through this document to see if it would be a, a worthy confession of faith for our church, that if these things are biblical, if these things are true. But in, in a more important sense, you know, why, why study theology? Why uh, uh, look at doctrine? Doctrine, which just means teaching. Why is it important for us to understand these things? Is it just an academic exercise? Is it just something to fill up our brains so that we know more than someone else? Well, no, that, that's, that's not our goal. Right? What's the, the, the goal of theology? What's the goal of learning sound doctrine? 
the goal is our very purpose in life. That we were created to glorify and enjoy God. And how do we glorify and enjoy God? How do we grow in that? Well, we, we grow in understanding who he is, what he's done, who we are, who he's called us to be. That right doctrine, that, that theology is not an end in itself. The end is a greater praise of God. That if we don't know who God is, it, it's, it's hard to glorify and enjoy him. Isn't that right? If I don't know my wife, it's hard for me to love her, right? And so in a different sense than, than my wife, God, though my wife is wonderful, God is perfect, right? He, he's all together. He, he's the source of all beauty, of, of, all, of all love, of all goodness, of everything that's enjoyable in this life. And so the more we learn of him, the more that we see him as he is, uh, in contrast to who we are, that, that should lead to a praise of him. It should lead to a praise of him, right? And, and if it ever doesn't, it, it's not a fault of God. It's not because God is lacking. It's because of our own sinfulness. If we ever get bored with who God is and what he's done, it's not because the, the stuff is dry. It's because we have sinful hearts, right? And so we want to keep that, that end in mind that we want to know this God who created us. We want to know this God who, who saved us. We want to know this God who is the source and the fountain of all that is wonderful in this life. We want to glorify and enjoy God. That's our very purpose. And so we want to keep that in mind because there's a danger. Um, pastors can, can struggle with this where it just becomes an academic exercise. And, and we don't want that. Surely there's academics, learning involved, but the end is that we would better worship and enjoy God. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go, go ahead and get started with that in mind. Paragraph two this morning, we're going to look at God's relations to his creatures. What is the relationship between God, the creator, and, and man, part of creation? What does that relationship look like? Okay, let's go ahead and read this, the first part of the paragraph where we will see God's self-sufficiency and independence from creation. God's self-sufficiency and independence from creation. God, having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon, upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. Well, this is a very uh, beefy statement there. Again, we're looking at, in this section, God's self-sufficiency and independence from creation. That God is self-sufficient and he's independent from creation. And first of all, we see the statement that God has all life, having all life, in and of himself. He has all life in himself. We see this in, in John chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. What this means is that God is not uh, dependent on another for life. 
he doesn't have needs uh, to sustain his life. You know, we're, we're very different. If, if I were to go uh, several days without water, what would happen to me? Let's say several weeks. <laughs> I get thirsty. I would, I would die. I'm dependent on water, right? We're dependent on many things. If you were to go without food for, for a very long time, you would eventually die. If you were to go without air for more than, I don't know, I don't, 20 or so minutes or above that, I'm, I'm no doctor, but you would die. We're dependent on many things, right? And ultimately, we're dependent on God who uses those things to sustain life. But, but God is not like that. God is not like that. He's not dependent on anything to have life. He's actually the, 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 the source of life. All life comes from him. He's the fountain of life. Why do I live? Because God has communicated life to me. Why do you live? Because God has communicated life to you. God is not dependent on anything uh, for life. He is the source of life. Secondly, we see that God has all glory in himself. All glory in himself. Psalm 148 verse 13 let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. We could look at many passages that, that talks about the glory or the, the majesty or the, the wonder of who God is. It's, it's far above uh, any majesty that we find in earth and, and in heaven. God does not depend on another for his glory. God is actually in himself all glorious. And he shows forth that glory in the things that he does in creation and in our lives, but, but we don't add glory to him. Right? When, when we talk about glorifying God, it's important that we understand that we're not adding glory to him. We're not adding something that he was lacking. We're just showing what he has. You see the difference there? Because if I'm adding glory to him, he's actually dependent on me, isn't he? To be who he is. And that, that's actually, I, I had, we had some Mormon missionaries at our house a, a few weeks ago. And, and at least the view of these missionaries, that was their view that, that God increases in glory uh, based upon his creation. The greater that they become, the greater he becomes. And so God, I pointed out to them, God is actually dependent on creation to be who he is. And if God's dependent on another to be who he is, is he really God? Creation's just as much God as he is, right? There's a mutual, if there's this mutual sort of thing, we both need each other, we're just as much God as, as God is. So God is, is the source of all glory. He depends on no other for glory, though uh, he shows his glory in his works and in creation. He has all glory in himself. Thirdly, he has all goodness in himself. Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. He is the very definition of what goodness is. God doesn't become good. He is good. He is the source of all goodness. Which is something that we need to remind ourselves of very frequently. That God actually is good. 
that though things in this world make it seem like God is not good, God is actually good. He is the source of that goodness. And he's working good in our world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that God is good? He is. He's the source of all goodness. He's the definition of goodness. Fourthly, we see that God has no need from the creature. We've already kind of talked about that a little bit. He has no need from the creature. Job 22, verses 2 and 3. Can a man be profitable to God? This is one of Job's friends, but he's right on the money here. Surely, he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Does God have a need from us if, if we do what is good, if we do what is right? Does God benefit from that? Is something added to him? Does God profit? Does God gain something that he didn't have before? Is he dependent on us to do what is right, for us to do what is right? Can we give anything to God? No. It's all His. Right? Even, even the goodness that we do actually comes from God, is worked in us from God. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has no need from us. Which is a good thing. Because if we had a God who is needy, if God was dependent on us, that's not a, first of all, it's not a God worthy of our worship. Second of all, I need, I need someone to depend on. Right? I need to depend on God. If God is dependent on me, where is my hope? Where is your hope? We fail left and right, and if God is dependent on us, that's a very hopeless world we live in. But he's not. He's independent. He has no need from us. God is also the source of all being, all existence. Romans 11, verses 34 through 36, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, this is one of my favorite verses, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. God is actually all, the source of all being for from him is all existence. Through him, all things continue to exist. And to him, all things exist. They exist for the purpose of showing the glory of God. He is the source of all being. And so I have this little chart here. What is the relationship between God and man? In these truths, we see that God is independent. On the flip side, what is man? Dependent. Now, is God just a little independent? No, he's completely independent. He, he has, he's not dependent on anything or anyone. Is man just a little dependent? 
extremely dependent. You couldn't breathe right now if it were not for the will of God. Your cells could not move if it were not for the will of God. And we need to remember that. I need to remember that. That, that we have this, this uh, bent towards thinking that we're the master of our own fate, that we're the captain of our soul, that we are an independent creature. Especially, I, I think, in, in Nevada, we can have that sort of bent, right? I need, no, I need no one. I need help from no one or no thing, right? Uh, but we're completely dependent, completely dependent. When we walk through those doors in a moment, are we dependent on God to do a work in us? Is it, can we just show up and expect to benefit in our own efforts? No, we're completely dependent on God by the power of his spirit to work in us, to conform us into the image of his son. We're completely dependent on God to save sinners. There are people who will be in there who are unbelievers, who do not know God, who need Christ. And we are dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to save those people. And so I, I, I know I have such a tendency, and I'm sure you do too, to just, to just walk through those doors and, 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 and think it's just, it's just all going to work out. But we are completely dependent on God. And what should that lead us to do? Should lead to praise and thankfulness, right? That everything that I have is from God and through God and to God. What else should that lead to? A worship of Him. He has given me all that is good. He's given me eternal life in the Son. That is completely His work. To seek Him. What about prayer? Should we pray and ask God to, to do what we can't do? Yes. We're dependent on him. Imagine, imagine that you have uh, no food. You, you, you've been starving. You have nothing. You, you, and you must have food to exist, to live. And there's a man in town. And, and he has... Uh, he, he is a farmer or whatever. He, 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 is, he is the source of food. He has plenty of food. You are on the point of starvation. Would you, would you go to that man and ask him for food? Would you? Would you go to that man and ask him for food in sort of a a lazy, lackadaisical way. Hey, can you give me some food? No, we'd be begging him, pleading with him. I must have this food that you have. If I don't have it from you, I have it from nowhere else. I will starve to death. We must have the Holy Spirit working in our church. We were made to glorify and enjoy God. God is working in us to conform us into the image of Christ. He does that by the power of the Spirit. He does that by his use of our time of corporate worship. But we are utterly dependent on him. We come here week in and week out spiritually starving. And we must have the food that only God can give us. And so we should come before him and, and plead with him. Ask him, Lord, feed my soul. I must have this food that only you can give me by the power of your spirit. 
And as we do so, as we're, we're pleading, we, we have this hope that, that not only is he the, the source of, of this, but he's a good father. He's a faithful God. And if we come asking him for such things, is he pleased to answer that request with a yes? Yes. And so, you know, I, we should prepare our hearts for this time. We should think about the people in our midst who are sprinting to hell, who must have the power of the Spirit working in their lives, convicting them of sin and bringing them to faith in Christ. We're dependent on God to do that work. And so let us go before him and plead with him, ask him, beg him, all the while trusting that he's good and gracious and he has no need from us. He's the source of all of those things. And we can have great hope that he will, uh, he will give bread to his children, who ask, uh, his children who ask him for that. He does not give us stones when we ask for bread. Amen? So God is the source of all being. He has no need from uh, the creature. Uh, we also want to note here, he's, he's, he's independent. We're dependent. God is all-sufficient, self-sufficient. What does that mean? It was, yeah. He doesn't rely on anything because he has everything in himself. Right? He has all life and goodness and glory in himself. He's self-sufficient. He's all-sufficient. He's the source of all of those things. What about us? The <laughs> you might say we're insufficient. Even if you're a prepper. Okay? Even if you got things stored up. <laughs> We are utterly insufficient in ourselves, but God is all-sufficient in himself, which makes us, again, dependent on him and him independent. What is God uh, the source of to man? What does God bless creation with? What does God communicate to creation? Life. What else? Goodness. We could, we could go on, but that, maybe we would just summarize this with all blessing. That's why we sing, come thou fount of every blessing. All blessing comes from God and flows down to man. It's never the other way around. All blessing comes from God and flows down to man. Let's continue on here. Let's look at some questions. If these things are the case, which they are, where should we look to for life and goodness? Is that one of those... We know the answer. We don't want to say it. God, right? If he's the source of all blessing, if he's the source of all life and goodness, where should we look to for life and goodness? Where should we look to for blessing? God. It's an easy answer, but not many of us always believe that, right? 
And, and, and we show that because often we worship other things than God. We, we have idolatrous hearts. Whenever I think that, um, and God communicates goodness through creation, but um, you know, there's a variety of things that we can make our God. Uh, entertainment, for one, is the first one that comes to my mind. We, we show that we worship entertainment when we think that entertainment is the source of all blessing. When we think that life and goodness and joy and contentment ultimately comes from something like entertainment. And so we devote ourselves to entertainment or work or uh, even family, even good things. Or comfort, we devote ourselves to trying to be comfortable, thinking that all life and goodness will flow to us from our comfort. That's idolatry, and it's foolishness. Because can creation ever be the source of all life and goodness? No. God can uh, flow down life and goodness through those streams, but they, they are never the source. God is the source. And so with that in mind, why does, self, why does the self-sufficiency of God make idolatry so foolish? Yeah. They're not the source. And so with that in mind, let's say that one day we lose all electricity. Whatever the solar flare thing happens and, and uh, all electricity goes out and you, you can't watch Murder, She Wrote anymore. I think it's the best show ever made. Okay? And you can't watch Murder, She Wrote anymore. The stream has been cut off, as it were. Is that the end of the world? You still have the source. You still have the fountain, right? Let's say that there's a food shortage and that we really are starving to death. Is that the end of the world? No. It may feel like it, but do we as believers, do we have the source of all life and goodness? If I have a terminal illness and I die, is that the end of the world? No, because I still have the source of what? All life and goodness, eternal life, right? And so if we have the fountain, we need not despair over the loss of, of things that are created. We need not devote ourselves to things that are created. It's foolishness. We have the source. We have God himself, the all-sufficient, self-sufficient, independent one. Um, well, it's a little bit harder to do little breakout discussions when you're being recorded, isn't it? <laughs> Next question. How does God show his self-sufficiency and independence in the gospel? Yeah. Himself. Himself. He provides it all, doesn't he? He provides the, the payment for our sin. He provides the righteousness that we need. He provides the faith that unites us to the source of those things. Is God dependent on us in the gospel? 
to accomplish the good news? No. If God is dependent on us in the gospel, do you have any hope? No. You don't. But we do have hope because God is independent. Is God sufficient enough to save sinners both from the penalty of sin and the power of sin? Is God able to conform us into the image of Christ in his own power? Yes. Is God sufficient for the job? Yes. Now, does that mean that he doesn't, he doesn't mean that he doesn't call us to do things, right? We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But why? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so, though he has called us to do things, he is not dependent on us ultimately. God is the one working in us as we do the work of, of uh, uh, being sanctified. How should these truths lead us to a worship and enjoyment of God? Gratitude, right? Where would you be right now today? Think about it. Legitimately think about it. Where would you be today if God had not saved you? On the way to hell. Living a life of uh, of sin, of, of misery, of emptiness, of awfulness. Piling up, piling up the penalty for our sin on the way to enjoy, as it were, the penalty for our sin. But God, the, the independent, all-sufficient, self-sufficient God is the merciful and gracious God who stooped down to save sinners such as us. And he provides for us uh, not only the forgiveness of sins, not only the righteousness that we need to stand before God, he provides for us the sanctification that we need to become more and more like God. He works in us so that more and more we can do what we were purposed for, to glorify and enjoy God. He works in us to the very end, to glory. We have that waiting for us now. Shouldn't that lead us to worship and praise of God? It should. We have every reason to worship and praise the self-sufficient, all-sufficient, independent God. Let's continue. So we saw there the self-sufficiency and independence of God from creation. Secondly, we see God's sovereignty over creation. Continuing on in the confession, and he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them for them or upon them whatsoever himself pleases. In other words, God, as the king, can, can do what he wants. He can do his will with creation at however he wants. There's a variety of passages we could look at for this, but Daniel chapter 4 is a striking passage. If uh, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, he uh, exalted himself, he looked at his kingdom, and he thought, well, what a swell king I am, look how great I am, and uh, uh, God showed him really how great he was, right? Uh, immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Did God have the right to do that to Nebuchadnezzar? 
Yeah. He drove him mad. Became like an animal. God had the right to do that to him. Let's see if Nebuchadnezzar agrees with us. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. He blesses God after all of this. He's not angry with God. Nebuchadnezzar blesses God and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his, why does, why does he praise and honor God? Why does he bless God? Which, which means he's, he's attributing God as the source of blessing. Why does he do this? For his dominion, his, his reign, his rulership, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. No one can stop him. Or say to him, what have you done? Would you have this sort of response? God basically uh, uh, turns Nebuchadnezzar into an animal. He loses all reason. And as that reason is returned to him from God, he breaks out in praise of God. He says, God, you can do this. You have the right and, and the authority to do this as God. Yeah. He was the independent, self-sufficient king, huh? Yeah. What gives God the right to do what he wants with creation? Because he created it. He's the maker. Yeah. It's all from him. It's his. He has the right to do with his things what he wants to do. And so if, if one day I lose my reason, he has the right to do that. And lest we forget, he's also good in some way, shape, or form in doing that. He has the right. He's the king. You know, if... You have your house we, or wherever you live, an apartment. You have things in your house. Do you have the right to change out the soap dispenser in your bathroom? Yes, right? I hope, I hope you do. Maybe I should say, wives, do you have the right to <laughs> change out the soap dispenser in your bathroom? <laughs> do you have the right to go in your fridge and, and do with whatever those ingredients you want to? You see eggs and bacon and, and uh, maybe you want to make an omelet. Maybe you want to make a breakfast burrito. You have the right to choose, don't you? If you were to make a burrito and I burst into your house and I said, Hey, what are you doing? You don't, you, why are you making a breakfast burrito? You can't do that. What would you say to me? Get out of my house, Stephen, go, <laughs> right? That would be crazy of me. We all know that, right? We have the right to do with our things the, what we want to do with them. All of everything is God's. The grass on the hills, the, the air in the sky, the moon, the sun, nations, hair on top of your head, 
your life? What will happen tomorrow? God has the right to do what he wants to do with you and with me. And again, lest we forget, he's good in those things. God is sovereign over creation. That's his relationship with creation. And if we ever think that God doesn't have the right to do such and such, we need to check ourselves because he does. He does. We've kind of hit on it a little bit already, but why is it important to remember the attributes of God when we consider God's kingly rights to do what he pleases with creation? If God is just sovereign and that's all that we know about God, what, what might that lead us to think about God? It's oppressive. He would be like us if we were in position. Yeah, that maybe selfish or just ruling things uh, for his own gain, which we know he cannot gain anything. What are the other attributes of God we need to remember when we think of God's sovereignty? He's, he's gracious and merciful. And his sovereignty, they're, they're, not, they're not separated. His sovereignty is gracious and merciful, which means that it's, it's wonderful, really. He doesn't give us the extent of what we deserve, and he gives us things that we don't deserve, good things. Right? It's a merciful and, and, and gracious sovereignty. What else? Immutable. He doesn't change. He's not a willy-nilly sovereign. I decree this thing today and I change my mind tomorrow, and, which is very important when we think of the gospel. If God was a mutable sovereign, if he changed, uh, we really wouldn't have much hope for his gospel promises. But he's immutable. He doesn't change. What are other some things about God? He's omniscient. Omnipotent. Which means he knows all things. That's the kind of king that I want. A, a wise king who, who, who actually knows everything, comprehends everything. Even things that, that don't actually happen. He knows all potential things and all actual things. He knows all past things, all future things. He knows the depth of my heart. He knows all things. And he's om omnipotent. Which means he's all powerful to actually carry out his good and gracious and merciful uh, sovereign decrees. These are good things, right? If, if it was the other way around, man was sovereign over himself, man was sovereign over God, would that be a good thing? <laughs> would you like to elect me as the one sovereign over all things? No, no good answer, right? But we have God as the sovereign over all things, and that is good. That is good. Next, we see God's knowledge of creation. God's knowledge of creation. Again, we're looking at the relationship between God and creation, or God and man, more specifically. Not only is he independent, self-sufficient, all-sufficient, sovereign, he also is, as Rick pointed out, he's omniscient. In his sight, all things are open and manifest. 
His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. A verse we see here, 1 John three nineteen through 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. He knows everything. And so, um, in thinking about that, just some sub-points. God's knowledge is infinite, which means he, he comprehensively knows all things. He knows all things divine, which means he knows himself comprehensively, which we don't. No one else can. Only God knows himself in that way. He knows all things historical, which means he knows all events that have happened in the past comprehensively, fully, every angle. He knows all things future, what will happen. He knows all things possible, what could happen. Uh, we see that with uh, David. He asked God the question, you know, whether or not um, Saul is going to attack him. What should he do if he stays? What will happen? And God gives him an answer. And, and David actually does something different. But God knows what would have happened if David had cho- chose otherwise. And God knows everything actual, what, what actually is real. His knowledge is infinite. His knowledge is infallible, which means he knows all things perfectly. God's knowledge is independent. In other words, God's knowledge of the future does not depend on what we will choose. That's, that's an important one. God's knowledge is not dependent on man. God does not depend on what I choose for him to know things. God knows actually uh, before I choose what I will do and actually decrees that I will choose those things. That's, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our head around. But the main point is that God's knowledge does not depend on creation in any way, shape, or form, even future events. There, there are those who actually uh, uh, teach this, that God doesn't actually know the future fully. He, he's, somewhat, he's dependent on what man will choose to be able to know things. Again, that's not the kind of God that I want as my God. That's a very weak God, right? God knows everything. God's knowledge is also certain. In other words, what he knows will happen will certainly happen, and that's because it depends on what God has sovereignly determined will happen. God's knowledge and God's decree, God's sovereign decree, uh, go along with one another. What God decrees will happen, he knows will happen. What God knows will happen are the things that he has decreed will happen. They're, They're... they're inseparable. So God's knowledge is infinite. He knows uh, he's not only sovereign over creation, he knows, uh, comprehensively knows creation. And man included. How might understanding that impact how we should view God's commands, the things that he tells us to do? Yeah, increases our trust that God actually knows what he's talking about. (laughs) What else? That they're for our good. Yeah, that's where, again, we want those attributes connected. 
He's one God. His omniscience, what he knows uh, and what he does is rooted in his goodness and his love for his people. And so if God commands uh, me to honor my father and mother, does he know what he's talking about? Yes, and it's good. Now I say this because there are commands of God that don't always quite make sense to us. God commands us to take the Lord's Supper, communion. Okay? Where we uh, eat bread and, and drink from the cup. I don't know about you, but, but in my mind, I cannot understand how God uses that to conform me into the image of Christ. There's not like a one, like, if you were to do some sort of math equation, bread plus wine equals sanctification. You know, and also faith in Christ in, in that, but... It doesn't quite make sense to me. But does God command it for our good? Does he know what he's talking about? Yes. And so when we take communion, it's not just a snack time. Right? God actually is using that to grow and sanctify his people. Now this might be somewhat of a controversial one. I'm not, I would encourage you to think through these things. I know there's a variety of views on these things. But does God command in the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Yeah. It means set apart. It's a unique day. Devoted to a delight in God and the worship of God. That's a command, at least in our day and age, that it doesn't make sense to many people. I would encourage us to think through that command. That perhaps God knows something that we might not fully understand. That when he commands us to keep that day set apart for the delight in God and the worship of God, he actually knows what he's talking about. And it's for our good. Okay, Just something to consider, to think through. We should view his commands as coming from the one who knows all things, who is good in all things, who loves us, with an unchanging love. He's the omniscient God. We also see God's holiness in his interaction with creation. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, in all his commands. Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. In other words, everything that God does in relationship with creation, in relationship with man, uh, his decisions, his works, his commands, all of them are holy, righteous, and good. So everything, this relationship between God and man, everything he does is, is holy. It's good, it's, it's righteous, it's perfect. So if that's the case, what attitude should this instill in us toward God and what he has determined? If God has determined something to happen in your life that you wouldn't choose, how should you view that thing? How should we view that thing? It's necessary, yeah. And, and is God holy in what he has determined? Is he righteous in what he's determined? And the most comforting, is he good in what he has determined? Yeah. 
And that, I think, is important because I, I uh, just to be honest with you guys, it's easy for me to have a grumbling and complaining heart. And we, we need to remember that when we grumble and complain about things in our life, what are we actually saying about God? Yeah. We're saying that he's not good. Which we know isn't true. Right? And so when we grumble and complain about the circumstances in our life, we're actually grumbling and complaining about God. And we see that that's how God views it with the Israelites in the wilderness. When they're grumbling and complaining, oh, we had watermelons and cheeseburgers in Egypt. Right? And, and, and God takes it very seriously. Right? Because their grumbling and complaining is actually directed toward him. That they're saying he's not good in what he's done. He just rescued them out of bondage to Egypt. And immediately they're, you know, they're complaining about vegetables. How often do we do the same thing? That God has rescued us from eternal, the eternal damnation that we deserve. At the expense of the life of his precious son. And the next day, we're grumbling and complaining about the watermelons and cheeseburgers that we wish we had, that God didn't give us. God's good. God's good. Lastly, we see God's claims upon creation. Again, we're thinking about this relationship between God and creation, or specifically God and man. He is independent, self-sufficient. We are dependent, insufficient. All blessing uh, comes from him down to creation. He's sovereign over creation. He comprehensively knows creation. He's holy and righteous and good in all that he does with creation. What are his claims upon creation? To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the creator and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. In other words, what God deserves from us, what we ought to give God, we ought to worship, serve, and obey Him. That's right. It's good, right? It's good for creation to worship serve and obey the creator. It's good for the one uh, who has been given all things from God to worship, serve, and obey God. It's right. It's, it, it's what's due him. It's what he deserves. And any other thing he's pleased to require of us. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. It's a magnificent vision that John has. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne... And the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. 
This is what those in heaven are doing. They're worshiping him. And do you hear the extent of their worship? They're, they're just so captured with the worth of the lamb that he deserves all things. He deserves our worship. He deserves our service. He deserves our obedience, not just because he is our creator, but because he is our savior. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. We owe it to him. And so we should think, we should care about what God has called us to do. We should care about how God has called us to worship. What has God told us to do in worship? We should care about that because he's do that. If we don't give him the worship that he uh, commands, commands of us, we're actually robbing God. We're stealing from God what is rightfully his. That's important. Which again, I would encourage you to think through the Sabbath in that regard. We also owe him, what's due to him is our service. He deserves a life of service from us in whatever capacity he's called us to. And he deserves our obedience. And, and do we fail these things? Yes. We don't, we don't give God the worship and the service and the obedience that, that he deserves, that he's so worthy of. And again, we, we remind ourselves of what God has done for us. That Christ bore the penalty of our sin for not worshiping him the way that we ought to. For not serving him the way that we ought to. For not obeying him the way that we ought to. Even though Christ did all of those things perfectly. He's bore that full penalty on the cross. And he's done that not only so that we might be saved from hell. He's done that so that we would more and more by the power of service, uh, by the power of the Spirit, be able to worship, serve, and obey Him. We're being conformed into the image of Christ. This is what the image of Christ looks like, to give God the worship and the service and the obedience that's due His name. And we have a hope that in glory, along with those saints, that we'll be giving Him actually the, worthy, uh, uh, the worship and the service and the obedience that He's worthy of. And that's good news, because that's what I want to do. This God who has been so good to me, this God that's been so good to you, we want to worship him. And so we pursue that in this life and we have the hope uh, in the next life that we'll be able to give our creator, our savior, the things that he deserves from us. And so let's go ahead and pray, prepare our hearts to render God the worship that we want to give him this morning. Father, we thank you that you have established a relationship with us, that you have created us, that all blessing comes from you, that everything that we have is a gift from you, that you are the only independent one, that you don't depend on us. We thank you, Lord, because we would fail every time, that you are the all-sufficient one, the self-sufficient one, that everything that we long for, everything that we truly need and, and, and want is found in you, all goodness and beauty and, and majesty and joy is found in you. You are the, the source of all those things. We thank you that you give us those things in your son, that Christ bled on that cross, that he bore the penalty of our sin, that he rose from the grave, that he ascended on high, that he is seated at your right hand even now so that we might enjoy you more fully, that we might do what we were purposed for to enjoy a, 
a relationship with you, the triune God, that we could enjoy the same love that you have for the Son in the Son. And Father, as we um, look at our lives, help us to, to praise you no matter what you do. Even the things that we wouldn't choose ourselves. Help us to recognize that you are not just sovereign, but that you are a good, omniscient sovereign. That you are wiser than us. That you are better than us. That you know how all things fit together in our lives and in our world and in all of history. That you know what you're doing, even if we don't. And Father, we pray that you would help us. We are dependent on you even to give you what we ought to give you. We depend on the power of your spirit to help us to give you the worship and the service and the obedience that's due your, your great and good and glorious name. We pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us this morning. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to praise you from our heart. That you would convict us again of sin and remind us again of the beauty and the glory of Christ crucified. That we would praise your name from our hearts, Lord. We're dependent on you to move in our uh, on the body here at Parkside, your body, to sanctify us, to conform us into your son, to love what you love and to hate with uh, what you hate. We're dependent on you to not waste our lives with small trinkets, but that we would pursue the glory of your good name instead. We're also dependent on you to save sinners. We pray that you would accompany the preaching of your word with power, that you would convict sinners of their deep sin, that they would sense their utter um, lostness, that they are sprinting to hell, that they must have a Savior. Help them to feel the weight of their guilt before a holy God and grant them faith that they would come to Christ and put their faith in Christ, that they would be born again, that, you would, uh, uh, that they would enjoy forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ, that you would work in them to be more like Christ, that we would enjoy Christian fellowship with these people. We pray, Lord, that you would do these things. We know that unless you build the house, we labor in vain. That today is pointless unless you work. So we ask that you would work, and we trust that you will work because you are faithful and gracious, and you love to give good gifts to your children. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.